Chapter 4 The Commander In 1954, Jaeger left Edwards and accepted a series of command positions. His first stop was West Germany, where he headed the 417th Fighter Squadron. Three years later, he returned to California as the commander of the 1st Fighter Squadron. After graduating from the Air War College in June 1961, he received a promotion to full colonel. The following summer, he returned to Edwards to head the new Aerospace Research Pilot School, an institution that trained several of the Apollo and Space Shuttle astronauts. And notably, during this period, Jaeger continued to help Jackie Corcoran, the well-known female flyer, learn the intricacies of various jets and support her quest to better several speed records, a mission he had begun in the early 1950s. Lloyd Thompson has more to say. Yeah, Chuck Yeager, or General Yeager, was also an educator throughout his time, serving as a brigadier general in the military, certainly an educator to his people under him in command, and then he certainly was an educator with his work at NASA, translating all of his experimental work and knowledge from his test flights with the Bell X-1, but his other work in other avenues of aviation. He was able to translate that to those early space missions where he could train the early pilots help them experience what it would feel like to be in these environments. And so that education, again, while he might not have had a technically formal education, he was still a lifelong educator as well, always providing information to those who needed it to, again, better our aviators, to better our missions to space, to better the military planes, to better the military and Air Force equipment. He was instrumental in that. Despite his workload as the commander of the Aerospace Research Pilot School, Jaeger continued to test most of the experimental planes that came through Edwards, although many of his flights went according to plan. One mission, quite literally, blew up in his face. General Jaeger discusses the incident in depth, courtesy of the Academy of Achievement. The airplane came into the atmosphere at about a 50 degree angle of attack, and I couldn't get the nose down. The airplane pitched up and went into a flat spin. And uh, what you realize now is the airplane's in a flat spin and the engine RPM, because there's no air going through the intake ducts, the engine stops. And when that stops, then you no longer have hydraulic pressure to run the horizontal stabilizer or the aileron rudder. So there's no, you're in a no-win situation. That's exactly what it is. You sit there and said, you get, but you have one other alternative, that's eject. Well, uh, I also had a drag chute on the airplane that we used for landing. And when I went through, the airplane was in a very flat, slow spin, and I had my pressure suit on. It was in, inflated. And I sat there and watched, and, and I was talking to Bud Anderson, who was chasing me in a T-33. T he was down, way down low, looking at me coming. And I was talking to the space position branch, the guys were recording data, and said, I, you know, I got, a, I got a real problem. They had just no way of getting this thing out of a spin. And so, well, as I went through 30,000 feet, I, went, I deployed the drag chute, which you normally deploy for landing. Well, when I did, the drag chute comes out, and it popped the nose down on the airplane, but there's a link that the drag chute's hooked to the airplane with that's designed to shear at 180 miles an hour. And that's in case the drag chute comes out accidentally while you're flying, it won't stop the airplane. Well, it just so happened when a nose went down, 
you know, when as I went through 180 miles an hour, the drag chute sheared and the parachute released and the airplane pitched back flat because there's, you know, 180 mile an hour going through the intake duct's not going to give you engine RPM. It takes about 300 mile an hour. When this happened, the airplane flipped back flat and I don't think it turned. It just fell at 100 miles an hour. Now you've got, you've got the egress systems, you know, you know them intimately and a lot, and it pays off because a lot of times you have to use them in a semi-conscious state. And I knew my rocket seat that I was riding. I knew its capability. So I rode it down to about 6,000 feet, which is not low, and went ahead and ejected. Well, the rocket seat blows you out of the airplane and gives you about 100 mile an hour velocity away from the airplane. Well, it just so happened that the airplane was falling at about 100 miles an hour. So when I used the seat, the airplane just fell away from the seat, obviously. The, the seat sat there, and then two seconds after you leave the airplane, uh, the lap belt blows open on the seat, which is what holds you in the seat. You've got uh, leg restrainers, cables that hold your heels into the seat f for flailing when you come out at high speed, and you know, a lot of things happen. Uh, so when this, I sat and watched the seat go through a sequencing, you know, knowing when it was going to happen, and finally uh, the lap belt popped open, and and there's a butt kicker that kicks you out of the seat. I felt that go, and it, and also my cable cutters cut my leg restrainer cables, and I fell through. When this happened, then your F5 release on your parachute is armed, and if as you fall through 14,000 feet the chute will open. Well, I was below 14,000 feet, obviously, so the chute opened the minute that the the F5 release said to open, and it did, but the problem was I didn't have enough velocity through the air, see, I was just starting to fall again, to pull that quarter bag which is on the canopy of your parachute. And the reason that bag is on the canopy is that when you eject at high speeds, four or 500 miles an hour, it keeps your canopy on the parachute from popping immediately. It pulls off and lets it reef slowly. Well, that little pilot chute on that quarter bag needs about 60 mile an hour to pull it off the quarter bag. And this is, you know, I don't know anything like this is going on. All I know is that, that I'm free fire. My chute has released, but I haven't got a canopy slowing me down because I can feel it flopping in the breeze. Well, by the time, at about this time, the seat, you know, which kicked me out up here, it also is falling, and it became entangled in the shroud lines of the parachute. I don't know this either, uh, but this is the way it happened. And when finally I picked up enough speed, 60 or 70 miles an hour falling, with the canopy up there following, that that quarterback came off, the canopy popped, and when it popped, a damn seat that's entangled in the shroud lines I'm falling about like this, and it flopped me up like this. Well, a seat hit me in the face piece of my pressure suit, and what hit me was the rocket, the butt end of the rocket on the seat, which still had glowing propellant burning. And when this happened, uh, it popped glowing propellant onto the rubber seals of my pressure suit, and you're in 100% oxygen. And when it did, it ignited, and then you're feeding 100% oxygen, and, you, and it's like a blowtorch. And, and fortunately, uh, uh, when this happened, the the visor on my pressure suit was busted and fragged and it cut my eye down and my socket filled with blood so it didn't hurt my eyeball. The flame, but I got burned pretty bad on my neck and shoulder. 
Although Jaeger parachuted to safety, he required several skin grafts. The incident undoubtedly helped bolster his tough and determined reputation. Jaeger returned to military combat in July 1966 when he assumed command of the 405th Fighter Wing at Clark Air Base in the Philippines, which fought in the Vietnam War. During the conflict, Jaeger flew a total of 127 combat missions. Chapter 5 Honored Hero in February 1968, Jaeger entered the final phase of his military career when he began commanding the 4th Tactical Fighter Wing. The following year, he received a promotion to Brigadier General and became the Vice Commander of the 17th Air Force. Jaeger had become one of only a handful of men who had started as an enlisted man and risen all the way to the rank of an Air Force General. Jaeger formally retired from the Air Force in March 1975. During the 1970s and 1980s, he received a string of honors. In 1976, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor for his first supersonic flight. Then, in 1985, President Ronald Reagan awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. These two medals are the highest honors an individual can receive for outstanding service and achievement. Yeager also obtained several other prestigious awards during his career, including the 1948 Collier Trophy for the greatest achievement in aeronautics or astronautics in America with respect to improving the performance, efficiency, and safety of air or space vehicles, the value of which has been thoroughly demonstrated by actual use during the preceding year, and the 1958 Harmon International Trophy, which is awarded to the world's most outstanding aviator, as well as numerous military citations. On October 14, 1997, the 50th anniversary of Jaeger's first Mach 1 flight, Jaeger broke the sound barrier once again, this time in an F-15. That flight was his last official flight in an Air Force plane. Jaeger traveled a long and challenging path from his humble West Virginia beginnings to becoming one of the world's most famous aviators. For many people, Chuck Jaeger exemplifies the true meaning of the word hero, not only as a record setter and pioneering test pilot, but also as a military aviator. Tom Wolfe said it best. Jaeger truly had the right stuff. Curator.